You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, The Stones Will Cry Out. The Stones Will Cry Out. Again, next week is Easter. Anyone excited for that? So excited for Easter. I love Easter and, and how we worship here at Plus Life for that. So be there for that. And please do invite friends and family, not just for the potluck meal, right, but for the spiritual meal, the spiritual food that we'll be partaking in uh, that weekend. Now, with that said, if you have been following the, liturgic, the liturgical calendar throughout this Easter season, you know that to, tomorrow is Palm Sunday, a day uh, in the Christian calendar to celebrate the passage that we just read, the, the triumphal entry of Christ as King and Savior into Jerusalem. It's one of the events in Christ's earthly ministry that is recorded all throughout the Gospels and marks the beginning of Holy Week. And so for centuries since the church was established, Christians have celebrated this monumentous event in Scripture uh, with such high regard. Tomorrow, thousands of churches all around the globe will be, will be worshiping with palm branches and to commemorate this, this event in Scripture. I don't know about you if you had this experience when you were young, but the church that I grew up in, we did that. We distributed palm branches during Palm Sunday service, and we'd be waving it around and be singing songs of Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, and I'd be like trying to hit my brother with the palm branch, right? And I'm worshiping, and I'm like smacking him on the... But that's, that was a great memorable time for me, and, and maybe you had that, that experience as well. And so this morning, in keeping with church tradition, and as we lead up to, to Easter next week, I want us to revisit that story of the triumphal entry and really ascertain for ourselves the significance of this event. As we'll see it's more than just about the day that Jesus triumphantly went into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people waving palm branches. As we'll see this morning, this, is, this event is a culmination of hundreds of years of messianic prophecies that the Jewish people had held on to and believed uh, that Jesus, uh, and Jesus had fulfilled. In summary, this day is about hope, our hope. In our Savior, a, a hope that was fulfilled by the triumphal entry of Christ. And that's what I want, that's what I want to impart to us this morning, beloved, as we dive into God's word. I want to bring us into the cultural, the contextual perspective of this great event so that we can better understand the hope that Jesus came to fulfill, as, as well as dispel any misconceptions of that hope. Because as we'll see, the Jews of Jesus' day had the wrong idea about Christ. They thought that Jesus was coming for a different reason, and they missed the point of the triumphal entry. And similarly to us, we can miss the point of why Christ came as well, why this day happened, why it took place in the first place. So church, my desire this morning is to clarify, it's to emphasize, it's to elaborate on the true hope that Jesus offers to anyone who would call out Hosanna, Hosanna to him. So let's get, into it. Uh, let's get into our word this morning. I'm really excited. I, as I was doing my research, I found a lot of things that blew my mind, right? So if you're ready to have your minds blown as well, someone say, jump for me. 
This morning, I won't, I won't be unpacking our passage verse by verse as we normally do uh, every week. Uh, I want to, I'm going to look at our passage, but I'm going to also look at the parallel passages in the other Gospels as well as compare some scriptures. So just, we're going to be jumping around a lot in your, in your Bible, so keep it open just in case. So to begin, I want to discuss the three reasons as to why the triumphal entry is so significant in the earthly ministry of Christ and why the church has continued to celebrate it over the years. I believe once we understand the significance of the triumphal entry, we'll get a better idea of the importance of it and how it plays into the hope that we have in Christ. So what is the significance of the triumphal entry? Well, first and foremost, it was a prophetic entry, a prophetic entry entry. Everything in this scene was to fulfill the prophecy that God would send his Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer of his people. For example, simply the donkey or the colt that Jesus rode on, both the Gospel of Matthew and John refer to how this is a prophecy that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. Uh, Matthew and John even go as far as quoting that Old Testament passage. Look at Matthew chapter 21 with me, verse 4 to 5, his account of the triumphal entry. He says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That quote is directly taken from Zechariah 9.9, a passage in Scripture written over 500 years before Christ. Now, where Matthew and John discuss the specific prophecy in Scripture, Luke and Mark give us the details of how God fulfills that prophecy. In verse 30 of our Luke passage now, it says, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. So here was a young male donkey, a colt, never been ridden on, never been broken in, never been a beast of burden, providentially bound, tied up just so that just for the arrival of Christ that day. Now, as significant as it may, as insignificant as it may seem to mention this detail, this actually shows the lengths in which God orchestrates and fulfills his prophetic word. This shows us that we serve a God that declares an end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that were not yet. Understand that there's great application here for us as believers, because how many times have we overlooked the seemingly insignificant things in our lives and concluded that it's either just random chance or, or, or that God doesn't care about these small things? These maybe small lies or small sins in our lives or the small choices or the small usage of our time, these small spending of our resources. How many times have we disregarded the seemingly small things in our lives and, and not even considered that God uses even the small things in our lives to work towards his grand purposes and sovereign will? Our passage shows that, that the simple situation of a donkey being tied up in a village during this day was part of God's sovereign will to fulfill his promise. Listen, we serve a God of the details. Just as much as God, as God is sovereign and encompasses all of the, 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 the grand schemes of this world, he also oversees the minute details of it as well. Absolutely nothing, nothing is outside the purview of God's sovereign will. 
So the application for us is this, be faithful in the little. Be faithful in the little. Just as Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So every choice you make, every second you spend, every word you utter, every breath you take, every cent you utilize, every ounce of energy that you spend, understand that God can and does use it towards his sovereign purposes and his glory. Listen, listen church, do not under, uh, underestimate the, the seemingly inconsequential things in your life. Right? They are just but a thread in God's tapestry of his glorious grace. Now, not only does this donkey fulfill prophetic events, it also denotes the kind of Messiah, the kind of Savior that God was sending into the world. Again, let's look at that the Zechariah 9.9 passage. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? See, This donkey represented the kind of king that the Messiah came to be. Two things, right? Pure and righteous. Similar to how this colt, this donkey was never never utilized, never ridden on, was never never broken into, right? God made it so that Jesus would be the same way. Christ was the same way. He was unblemished, unbroken by the world. He was holy, set apart for God's sovereign plan. Secondly, this donkey represented the kind of demeanor that the Savior would have. He demonstrated humility. The donkey represented the kind of, uh, of heart that the, the, the Savior would have. Remember what Jesus said about himself? He said that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And this, this donkey was a tangible demonstration of this. He wasn't a king who, who came riding in triumphantly on a white horse, at least not yet. That happens in the book of Revelations at the end of days. He came in riding on a donkey, on an animal, not fit for a king, but rather in ancient times, donkeys were actually used as a symbol of peace by ambassadors. Similar to waving a, a white flag in, in war, in battle. Those who were riding donkeys symbolized a desire for peace on behalf of a nation. And that's what Jesus was doing in the triumphal entry. He was proclaiming the peace of God that had come to Israel and into the world. Christ riding on this donkey was a sign of God desiring peace with mankind, despite us being the ones who were in rebellion towards him. This is a tangible display of of what God says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And I love this. God says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Jesus coming in peace and humility and in righteousness, as illustrated by him riding on this donkey, demonstrated God's desire to reconcile the world, the sinful world, to himself in peace. Now, there's a lot more prophecies that we'll be discussing throughout this sermon and that, that revolves around a triumphal entry. But understand that all of it, all of this was a prophetic entry, a prophecy, a, a fulfillment of God's prophecy of sending his humble Messiah to bring about his peace. Now, of course, the people didn't see it this way. The people who were, who were celebrating Jesus and who was welcoming him into Jerusalem, they didn't see it this way. What the people wanted was a conquering king, 
A king who would overthrow Rome and establish a new Davidic kingdom over Israel. And Jesus was their guide. They thought that he would be the one to do this, to lead the charge, to lead the armies of Israel and and revolt against Rome. So now this brings us to the second significance of this event. It was a proclaiming event. A proclaiming event. Some backstory to this event. In the Gospel of John, the apostle records how the triumphal entry actually takes place shortly after Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. John says that after this event, that Jesus stayed with Lazarus and his sisters in a town called Bethany. You can read about that in John chapter 12. So what happens is word spread about this great miracle that Jesus performed, resurrecting the dead. And and John says that large crowds of the Jews came to see him as a result of this miracle. See, in the people's mind, this miracle was great evidence that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah, the coming king as prophesied about in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, one of the prophecies was that when the king would come, when the Messiah would come, that the dead would rise from the grave. Look at, look at Hosea chapter 13 with me. Hosea chapter 13 to 14, oh, 13, verse 14. It says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? And in Isaiah 26, verse 19, it says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in thus awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. These are messianic prophecies saying that when the Messiah comes, people will rise from the grave. The resurrection of the dead was so integral to the Jewish messianic belief along uh, that a lot, this is, that, 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 that everything that they did revolved around it. In fact, what happened was they actually set up this great cemetery along the eastern wall of Jerusalem. Jews created a, a massive cemetery to bury their dead for when the Messiah came. Because along with this prophecy that the Messiah would bring resurrection life, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that the Messiah would be coming in from the east of the city. Look at Ezekiel chapter 44 with me. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut, and shall not be open, and no one shall enter by it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it, therefore it shall remain shut. Then Ezekiel gives a, a little more detail on this prophecy later on in Ezekiel chapter 46 now, verse 12. He says, when the prince provides a free will offering, either a burnt offering or peace offering as a free will offering to the Lord. The gate facing east shall be open for him and he shall offer his burnt offering or his peace offering as he does on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out and after he has gone out, the gate shall be shut. This is a prophecy about the Messiah coming in to offer sacrifice unto God and he's, he has to enter through the east gate. So now back to Jesus, right? I want you to sort of think this through with me, right? Where, where was he staying, as we mentioned, or as we read in our passage? He was staying in Bethany, which was east of Jerusalem. Where did the disciples pick up the donkey? It was on the Mount of Olives, also east of Jerusalem. And so as he's riding on a donkey down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, which gate would he have had to use to get into Jerusalem? The east Gate, the most immediate gate from the Mount of Olives. The same gate 
that the prophet Ezekiel said that the Messiah would have to go through in order to, in order to offer a sacrifice of peace to God. Now, if you paid attention to this prophecy that we just read from Ezekiel, it says, let's go back to Ezekiel 44, verse 2. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be open, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. So a good question to ask here is, did the gates shut after Jesus went through them? Because that would, be, that would be very evident that Jesus was the Messiah, right? That he fulfilled this prophecy in Ezekiel. Well, in 1541, when the Muslims took over Jerusalem, they heard about this, this same East Gate prophecy that the Jews had about the Messiah. And out of a desire to prevent the Jewish Messiah from coming into Jerusalem... Solomon the Magnificent, the sultan of the Ottoman Empire at that time, commanded for the east gate to be walled up, to be shut up, and to be closed forever. And to this day, it is closed. How ironic is that, right? In their desire to prevent the Messiah from coming, they actually fulfilled the prophecy of Ezekiel and proved that the Messiah had already come in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I, as amazing as that is, I, I said all that to say that the people, the crowd that went to meet, to meet Jesus at the triumphal entry were connecting these dots. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Check, right? The Messiah was going to do that. Jesus is riding on a donkey down the Mount of Olives. Check. He's going through the, the eastern gate. Check. The people thought this was him. This was the king who's going to overthrow Rome. This was him who was going to set up the Jewish kingdom. Jesus was their guy, the king. And so what did the people do? It says in Mark chapter 11, verse 8 to 10. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches. These are the palm branches, right? That they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna meaning, Hosanna meaning please save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, kingdom, is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The people proclaimed Jesus as king in the most explicit way. They threw the, the, their cloaks on the ground. That, this was only reserved for royalty according to the Old Testament. Same thing with the palm branches. During Jesus' day, listen to this, palm branches were actually a symbol of rebellion against Rome. It was a symbol of the, the zealots. If you know who the zealots were in Jewish times in ancient Israel, they were the militaristic religious group that plotted to overthrow Rome. And so Rome made it actually a capital offense to wave, province, uh, to wave palm branches in front or in public because it was an explicit sign of rebellion against Rome. It was a sign that the people had sworn allegiance to another king, as another king other than the emperor of Rome. And so the people are out here throwing their, their, their Gucci jackets and, and waving palm branches and all of that to say that Jesus was king. And there, of course, they even shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They're literally proclaiming a new Davidic kingdom as Jesus is riding into the city, the king who would come to save them from Rome. That's why they were shouting, Hosanna. This was a proclaiming entry. And understand, it wasn't just the people proclaiming that he was the promised king. Understand that Jesus himself was allowing his disciples to explicitly declare that he, who he was. 
If you recall throughout the Gospels prior to this event and, and throughout the early parts of Jesus' ministry, there were times where after Jesus would perform a miracle, he would tell his disciples to keep silent. Don't let anyone know about this. Don't, don't tell anybody. It's not my time. Even, there's, there even, even read in the Gospels how there'd be times where Jesus would, would cast out demons and the demons would declare who he is, the Son of God, and Jesus would silence them. Because, again, it was not yet his time. But now all of that is out the window. Jesus is allowing for his disciples to celebrate who he truly was, the king who would deliver his people. Of course, the Pharisees who are on the scene hate this, absolutely hate this. It says in the Gospel of John that the Pharisees who, who were, were already having trouble with, but having to deal with the testimony of Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. I mean, how do you refute that, Right? Like people saw him die, people saw him buried, he was in the, in, the, in the tomb for how many days, and then like that he's up again? Like how do you say, oh, that's not real, that's not Lazarus? And so we read in John that the Pharisees were already having trouble with, with Lazarus and his testimony, and now here's this great procession, this great parade of Jesus triumphantly coming into Jerusalem as the promised king. And so our passage says in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. The Pharisees became like that neighbor who like, tells you to keep it down when you have guests over. right? Or the lady at the store who, who likes to complain, usually named Karen. right? It's like, let me speak to your manager. And it's Jesus. Right? And I love what Jesus says. This is, this, is, this is so epic. This is the thing that blew my mind uh, as I was doing my research. It says uh, in verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. What's Jesus talking about here? Is he, talking, is he saying that the stones, or the, the rocks around would develop some sort of a speech pattern, of a voice, and be able to give praise to him? No. Remember what I said earlier. Resurrection, uh, the, the new life, the, the, the rising from the dead was so integral to the, the Jewish belief of the Messiah that they buried their dead all along the eastern wall of Jerusalem. And in that eastern wall, remember, because their, their desire, their hope was that the Messiah would come to the east and that the dead would rise. And so when Jesus says the very stones would cry out, he's not talking about stones, he's talking about grave stones. He's saying, if I tell my disciples to be quiet, I tell you the truth that every dead person along this cemetery will rise and declare me praise. That's who our King Jesus is. And this was, a, this was a threat to the Pharisees, right? Because again, they were already having trouble with having to deal with the testimony of Lazarus being raised from the dead. How much more an entire graveyard? This was a threat. And which, by the way, a threat that took place, a, a threat that happened. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 27 after, uh, after Jesus died on the cross. It says in verse 50, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The dead, the dead did rise. The stone did cry out and hailed Jesus as king. The triumphal entry was a proclamation that Jesus was and is the king who came to save his people. But not from Rome, not as the people had expected, but rather from sin and the wrath of God. In 
And this brings us to the final significance of the triumphal entry and why we celebrate Palm Sunday as believers. That's because it was a purposeful entry. It was a purposeful entry. See, before Palm Sunday was known as Palm Sunday, in Orthodox Judaism, that day in the month right before Passover was known as Lamb Selection Day. Lamb Selection Day. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, Moses himself commands to his people, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Then in verse 5 of that same chapter, it says, the animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Lamb selection day was the day where the people would choose an unblemished lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people during Passover. This day was part of the Passover celebrations, in fact, in Jerusalem. And what happened, it was a whole event, really. What happened was that there would be a procession of temple priests led by the high priest outside of the eastern walls, The high priest would then by himself proceed up the Mount of Olives where the lambs were kept. These lambs, by the way, according to Jewish historians, were strictly taken from Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born. The high priest would then bring the lamb down the mountain back to the awaiting people, and the people would cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, again meaning save us. It was an expression of their faith in the lamb that was going to be slain on their behalf. And then after this, the the lamb is kept for testing to make sure that it was truly unblemished. And then after four days, it it would be sacrificed on Passover. Listen, it was not a coincidence that Jesus triumphantly came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey from the Mount of Olives towards the eastern gate on the exact day that the people were called to choose a lamb for their Passover. You can imagine the scene, really. The religious Jews are, are, are waiting outside for the high priest to, to return with the Passover lamb. And instead, they see Jesus and all his disciples coming down the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey. And the people start crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, in the highest. The cries for salvation. They would normally shout towards the Passover lamb. They shout to Christ instead. That's why the Pharisees were there telling his disciples to keep it down, right? We're doing something else here. Yet this was his purpose. This was why Jesus came victoriously to Jerusalem that day. Not as a conquering king to conquer Rome, but a king who came to conquer sin, death, and hell. Jesus willingly offered himself as the lamb to be slain for the sins of the world for your sins and my sins, so that we could have peace with a holy God, so that we could have eternal life with God. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Why we wave palm branches and sing Hosanna, because we are commemorating the day when our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, willingly presented himself to be slaughtered for our sins on our behalf. Now, here's the application for us, the invitation for us this morning. The crowd had it wrong. The people 
who were shouting Hosanna and, and Hosanna and waving palm branches were just out there to get something from Jesus. Namely, freedom from Rome, right? That's what they wanted. That was the extent of their understanding as to why Jesus came to Jerusalem that day. We know this because the moment that Jesus was arrested, the same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, they started shouting, crucify him. And the reality is, if our hope in Christ is only limited to what he can do for us in this life, then we are no better than the people who threw their coats at Jesus' feet on Sunday only to put a cross on him by Friday. Listen, the difference between pseudo-followers of Christ and true followers of Christ is the first will hail him as king as long as they get what they want, only to crucify him when they don't get what they want, when God doesn't give them that job, when, when the relationship doesn't work out, when the blessing doesn't come, or when they experience hardship in this life. When pseudo-followers of Christ don't get what they want, they immediately reject Christ as king over their lives. Or... They're willing to trade the Savior to get what they want. That was Judas, right? I'm sure Judas was one of the guys shouting Hosanna as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. But as we know, a couple of days later, he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And like Judas, there are many Christians in the church who will worship Christ on Sunday only, tra- only to trade him f- for a moment's pleasure by Thursday or for a distraction by Wednesday, or for a sin by Tuesday, or for an illicit relationship by Monday. On the other hand, true followers of Christ will worship him as king, even if they don't get what they want. Even if the world is falling, around, falling apart around them, even if, if loved ones die, even if they don't get the job, even if, if, if their plans fail, the true followers of Christ will continue to praise him as king, even if they are accursed in this life, because they know that they will be blessed in the next life. True followers of Christ know that our king's kingdom is not in this world, that we are not citizens of this world, that our treasure is not in this world, but in the kingdom to come. True followers of Christ are those who have recognized the true reason why Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem that day. Those who recognize that Jesus was and is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. True followers of Christ are those who have put their faith in Christ as their Passover Lamb. The only one who has the power to forgive sin and reconcile us to a holy God. So church, as we close Examine your hearts this morning. Consider whether or not your hope in Christ is only for this world. Or is it in the next one as well? Consider whether you are like the people who cried Hosanna one moment, only to shout crucify him the next when you, when you don't get what you want, when things don't go your way, when God doesn't act the way that you want him to act. Consider where your, where your faith is where your hope is in what you're, where you're, what you're expecting and hoping Christ to do for you in this life or the next. The invitation is clear. We must put our faith, our hope in Christ as a spotless lamb of God, as our Passover lamb, one who freely gave himself so that we can be reconciled to a holy God, that the solution to our sin 
Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world in order to make peace before us and the holy God. The invitation is to put your faith, to trust in him as God's provision, as God's way to a right relationship with him. It's not by our works. It's not by what we do, not by what we say, not what good we can intend to do. It's all by faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The invitation is to cry, Hosanna. Hosanna, save us. Save me. Putting our faith in the one who can only save us. One last thought as we close. Though we celebrate Palm Sunday to commemorate the triumphal entry that took place 2,000 odd years ago. We also celebrate it because it foreshadows the worship to come. The worship in the kingdom to come. When Christ returns riding on a white horse this time. And establishes the kingdom, his kingdom. Tomorrow when Christians all around the world wave palm branches during service or during worship, it is a glimpse of the worship to come when Christ returns, a time and a time where he has conquered all and his glory is fully revealed. And he reigns as king. It says in Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10, After this I looked, And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die on our behalf, to be our Passover Lamb, the Lamb who would take our sins unto himself and confer his righteousness unto us so that we might stand holy and justified before you not deserving anything all by your grace, not because of any good thing that we could do or have ever done, but because you are good and that you are loving. Oh God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times where we have acted like the people who cried Hosanna one day and only to crucify Christ the next. Forgive us for the times where Our expectations for Christ is only in this world. Where we demand Christ to do something for us in this life. But fail to see him as the only way to the next life. The one who made a way so that we would have eternal life with you. Forgive us for the times that we have been like Judas who who seemingly praised God as well and then at the same time a few days later betrays Christ for a few pieces of silver. Forgive us for whatever it is that we have traded you for. Whether it's pleasures of this life or 
material things or influence or relationships. God, I pray that you would reign supreme in our hearts. I pray that you would have a triumphal entry into our hearts this morning and sit on the throne that you only deserve. And I pray, oh God, that with every breath, every ounce of our being, Lord God, that we would declare you as king to all around us. Lord, I pray that the victory that you accomplish, not just at the triumphal entry, but at the cross, that we would be able to live that out from our day to day, Lord. That others who would see, would see that victory, would see the triumph of the Savior over our lives. And I pray, oh God, for those who have yet to place their trust and their hope in you, who have yet to come to you in faith, seeking your mercy. I pray that this day would be the day that their hearts, that they would cry, Hosanna. Hosanna, save me, save us, Lord. I pray that this day would be the day of salvation. Lord, be glorified in the hearts of your people this morning. Pray these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.